1: Hi, I'm Samson Folk, and you're listening to a short podcast series on what people love about basketball. I'm discussing this with fans, analysts, and writers alike. First up is Lewis Asman, a dear friend of mine and a terrific writer, and we are discussing stories, why they're important to the NBA, what types of stories get told, and who bears the responsibility of telling those stories. I sincerely hope you enjoyed the episode. Lewis asks me, what is your favorite thing about basketball?
0: So I've been trying to find a way to condense this, like the elevator pitch. It's hard. I think my favorite thing about basketball is the same as my favorite thing about everything, which is stories. And so I like how these incredible athletic feats and skills and, you know, these insane details that NBA players master combine into these really large scripts that seem like they could be written by Hollywood. And and so, you know, Kawhi Leonard hitting the same shot that Vince Carter missed, uh, you know, in game seven against the Philadelphia 76ers, things like that. It's hard to believe that they would happen. And yet they happen every year, every NBA season. There's always these incredible stories and that's what's fun about life. So that's what's fun about basketball.
1: You wrote a book. And you were kind enough to let me read it. Do you remember what the first piece of dialogue in the book says?
0: The first piece of dialogue? Oh, my God. Uh, I
1: remember the first line. I don't know if I remember the first piece of dialogue. Well, we're talking about conceptual symmetry in the world of basketball and how these things line up. And the first piece of dialogue in the book you wrote is maybe we should tell stories to remember mom. And here we are wow. with stories. With is that an true? That's true. <laughs> That's incredible. So we see, as you said, your favorite thing in everything is the stories. And so the first question I'll ask is we're taught there's foundational types of stories, overcoming the monster, ranks to riches, rebirth, comedy, tragedy, etc. Which do you think is most often told in the NBA? And which of those do you find you appreciate the most? Ah, wow, that's a really good question.
0: Okay, so I think the regs to riches story is probably among the most told stories because it's the easiest to tell. Um, as a writer, when you are trying to tell the life story of an individual, it is easiest to say this was hard and they've overcome it in these ways. And you see that being done really well. Uh, I don't know, but really well. But I I told that story when I uh, covered the Paralympics, for example, for the CBC. Um, it's about, and, and it wasn't about um, the accident or or injuries that were being overcome. Just other parts of life. So um, I've talked about Paps, Melissa Paps. She's one of Canada's best Paralympians, a, a sprinter, and it was an injury uh, in. A previous Olympic race, Paralympic race, that ended up being one of the focal points where she, you know, finished the race with the torn ham torn hamstring in her, in her uh her healthy, well, erstwhile healthy leg. And how that moment that sort of showing the Paralympic spirit ended up being more than winning might have been. Maybe, who knows? She hasn't won gold yet. But uh Those stories are easy to tell because they are easy pickings and they can be mistold, right? People tell that story about Derrick Rose um, where his own incredible misbehavior, abusive behavior is treated as an obstacle to be overcome. And that's a misuse of that story. So you see it all the time in the NBA. And I think there's other types of really interesting stories that only the best writers tell Katie Heindel tells all types of stories that you just don't see from other writers because she's smart enough to identify them. So I would probably need to think a lot more and I could talk forever in answer to that question, but that's just, you know, <laughs> a little bit.
1: Okay. And is there one you'd like to see represented most rather than the one you appreciate most? Do you think there's one that is currently untapped? Like, is there not enough comedy writing from the likes of Jason Concepcion is there is there not enough tragedy paid attention to or something like that
0: well there's more than enough tragedy I think the comedy writing peaked you know Free Darko for example was super funny Grantland was super funny and that that type of stuff just doesn't exist anymore right The Ringer has some incredible qualities but it's just not really that funny. So definitely, comedy is something I would love to see more of. I would also love to see more discussion of basketball without comparison. You know, talking about how great someone is without making it a comparison to their peers, to players of other of other eras, you know, not every it's not zero sum. And I think so many stories we tell are zero sum. In our own lives as well. That's just sort of how we think about the job because there's only so many jobs and only so many people can have them, but also basketball because there's a winner and a loser. That doesn't mean the stories need to be the same. I also think not enough writers are good enough at making the stories outside of basketball. A lot of people think that they are politics and culture writers and do a terrible job of that. They write like children with the uh, ability to comprehend events uh, with the same ability as someone in grade six, grade seven might have. But people who are unbelievable at making basketball about life, about bigger things than basketball, Sirach Sohi's a really good example at The Ringer, Katie as well, where you can make basketball about your own life, right? Sirach from Edmonton, she's written beautifully about that. Um, Sean Woodley wrote a piece during the 2018-19 uh, the championship run about his relationship with his, uh, I think, I forget if it was his grandparents or parents, but basketball is so much more than the sport. And I think not enough writing acknowledges that and not enough writing makes that enough on its own, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. I th- that brings up two points for me, I think. The first is that, filtering it through the lens of your life is what we all do um, subconsciously and that shows Mm -hmm. up in the writing and there are people who purposefully lean into that and sometimes their musings can be just wonderful depending on how they see the world katie is you know i've talked about this before like she's she's written a page about how the light hits like you know a piece of china on a table And I am struggling to tease out 600 words about a complicated set action that has 800 moving parts that could be all described very in a very minute fashion, but I just don't. And so my first question is, we talk about like, maybe maybe be more creative in the way you write about basketball. Maybe Maybe tell the story of a player's game, not their life, but you're writing about the game itself and without comparison. So what is the art about writing about a player's style, writing about a player's on-court game? Such a good question.
0: And and I think um, I was uh, fairly inebriated hanging out with you relatively recently. And I was talking (laughs) about uh, David Foster Wallace
1: and the way that he wrote about tennis and how no one does that. You got to table that. I have more questions later. You got to come up with another answer. <laughs> okay, okay. Another
0: answer. Uh, so what's the style? How do you write about style? So yes. I think the way that you write an argument requires evidence. And to me, there's three types of evidence. There's numbers, there's film, or there's previous work, right? So hyperlinks. And and that can destroy style. When you talk about Pascal Siakam's jump shot, let's just create anything. doesn't matter what. As soon as you say the percentage that he hits at, you have annihilated the conception of the jump shot, the, the platonic form. And I did this when I wrote a piece about Bam out of bio a long time ago. I didn't mention his numbers until very the end of the piece, and I mentioned them as sub, subservient to his style. They were, they almost obscured what he was as a basketball player. And so the idea that everything is an argument, because that's what life is, that's what Twitter is, almost detracts from form. And so when you talk about form, you have to have uh, an interest in it, first of all, right? If you want to talk about Kyle Lowry and you start saying he's good or he throws his body around you've already lost the plot you have to care because caring is the writing and so it's difficult it's different for every type of player right there's no how to and i've only done it a handful of times because the the platonic form of like different players and their forms have only re- like occurred to me a couple different times to be honest um But you have to treat the thing as an end in itself, because as soon as you treat it as uh, a gateway to winning, a gateway to scoring, you've already lost.
1: Mm -hmm. I really like that. And it makes me reflect upon my own writing that I've been doing over the years. When I first started writing about basketball, my recap, for example, would be me describing like, 80 of the plays that happen in game. (laughs) And that's what a Samson folk recap was. And now you want to talk about like annihilating something as far as like, you know, conceptually telling a story. I'm, I have basically recently, there isn't a piece I write that doesn't have video in it. And it has hyperlinks and it has references to statistics. In fact, the, it's kind of funny. The thing I wrote, The two things I wrote that I enjoyed the most this past, I don't know, month while you've been away doing really important things is (laughs) one was actually, it had no video, it had no statistics, it just had the story of Fred Van Vliet's huge third quarter, the 24 point third quarter. And then the other one was all film, all statistics about Scotty Barnes and a deep dive into what makes him a star. And it's been interesting to watch, like, You think that the market doesn't impact you. You think that other people don't impact you and you think you're just working away. But to sit back and reflect on why I went so heavy into analysis is that I don't get the sexy quotes. I don't get quotes that other people don't get access to. And I feel like divorced from the situation being far away. So I try and write in the argumentative, um, objective analysis sense. And I'm excited to be able to tell more stories as a writer once I get closer in proximity to the players to be able to be able to tell those stories. And that brings me to my next question. So that you talked about David Foster Wallace with me a few times, and you're very (laughs) moved by his writing, obviously. And so from Roger Federer as Religious Experience, quote, the truth is that TV tennis is to live tennis pretty much as video porn is the felt reality of human love. End quote. What is TV basketball to live basketball? And what have Raptors fans been missing out on in all this time away from the team? So, first of
0: all, you read it. I'm so happy you read that piece. I went on and on about how much I love that. So amazing. Also, just brilliant, fantastic question. Some of the best writers I know are obsessed with sports. Um, Ian Reed, uh, I'm thinking of any things, Michael LePoint wrote creep. Um, I'm lucky enough to say are friends of mine, and both huge, huge basketball fan, fans. And I have always wanted to just like sit them down, no distractions, and ask these questions what you're asking me to them. Because you you wonder if authors, David Foster Wallace, other authors have, you know, different, deeper perspectives, views. And so what is in-person basketball compared to TV basketball? I mean, maybe different for everyone. It's hard to say. I know when the NBA, when the Raptors stopped allowing fans, even though I have credentials, I stopped going to games. Part of it was uh, safety. Um, You mentioned I was doing more important things for a month, just had a, son, my wife and I, so we've been really, really busy. So, you know, lots of other reasons I'm not going to games, but there's something missing without a crowd. You mentioned your favorite pieces recently. I think one of my favorite pieces was in, in the championship run, my favorite pieces that I wrote, I talked about that game, game seven or game six, pardon me, against Milwaukee. And the only thing I wrote about was the crowd standing up and sitting down. Uh, I think I mentioned the Kawhi Leonard dunk, but only in so far as the crowd standing um, milling around during the dead balls. Cause I don't know if you remember that game. There was like t- the last one minute, two minutes took like 20 minutes. There were so many reviews um, out of ba- tips, out of bounds, timeouts. And what interested me was not the basketball, but, how people could go from this insane excitement, knowing that they were about to win the game, like the game was won and yet people didn't celebrate. They just sort of milled around standing up. And so I think when you're watching on TV, you're watching basketball and basketball only. And basketball is wonderful. You and I are both just adore the sport, right? Minute basketball is basically our love letter. To the sport itself and not the stories, how much we love the game. But that's all you get on TV. And that's plenty, that's enough. But in person, there's so many things that are different, right? The religiosity of Roger Federer, I don't think that comes across on TV. I understood what he was writing without identifying with it. And that's possibly because I've never seen him live. And I think a similar thing about. Bam bio or about that Raptors game against Milwaukee. It's it's not there. Those stories aren't there on television, and that's something I think so many people who are at the games, they're there to take their their quotes, which everyone gets now because it's posted on YouTube, and to write the same piece that everyone writes. And you're missing something if you do that. You're missing what David Foster Wallace saw, what. Ian Reed hopefully sees what these people who I you know, just consider so much more perspective thinkers than I am, what you hope they see in person, and what I really try and, and fail more often than not, but try to see myself. And that happens over Zoom as well, right? The last game in Tampa Bay, I remember my whole piece was about Zoom and the weirdness of Zoom asking questions to people you're not allowed to see and who don't see you you're not allowed to touch it's there's more to it than the game and uh and that's much more visible in person
1: what's the first story you told your child
0: i am reading to him a series of unfortunate events (laughs) (laughs) uh it's a little dark i i there's a there's yeah there's murder for sure um there is uh, a man trying to marry a child in the first book no, no less but i think what's so good about it is the books evolve as the reader evolves like book 1 is for a kid they don't even introduce the mystery of vfd until book like 4 or 5 and by the end book 13 or whatever is the last one books 12 13 the concept of good and evil is so obscured because you've grown up as a reader and the characters, the Baudelaire children have grown up and you understand Count Olaf and you, you pity him and Lemony Snicket, who's a character you sort of rage against for being a biographer rather than an active participant, even though he had the choice to be, and you understand so much about life. So I'm uh, on book three right now. I read books, uh, one and some of two in utero, just hoping that he would like the sound of the books. I know it does nothing to him, but and now we're uh I finished book two and now we're on book three. He doesn't seem to care for it, but one day I mean I'll probably be reading them to him when he's still like eleven years old because they go very slowly, but cool. yeah that's the story I'm going with right now
1: excellent. Have you told stories since you were young or strived to tell them
0: Oh yeah, man i uh at summer camp i would you know sitting around a campfire you'd make, i would make up ghost stories and they were just terrible but it's still fun i i wrote a uh, stand up comedy routine once um i i actually had a job in kingston i worked at a ghost story uh like a, a haunted walk and i told ghost stories that was fun I worked on the radio for a long time, did talk radio. Um, I, yeah, stories have always been my jam. It's, I mean, it's, I you've seen Game of Thrones, I assume?
1: Yeah, I've, well, I've read Game of Thrones. I've seen Game of Thrones, yeah. Okay, I live but in that reading world.
0: doesn't have this terrible part. It really is a terrible part. Where Tyrion, at the very end, spoilers, by the way, uh, they're <laughs> trying to choose... They're trying to choose the, you know, the the new king, and Tyrion's like, well, just a, it's just a story, and who is a better story than Bran, Bran the Broken, you know, uh, it's a ridiculous, totally put on part, but I understand why the writers wrote that because they're obsessed with stories, so they wanted to make that the entire upshot of Game of Thrones bad on television, but something I agree with in principle.
1: Bastards and broken things, right? Is the the yeah. ethos for um, Game of Thrones, or well, the book series that became the the television show? And you could definitely quibble about whether Bran had the best story. I think that's probably my favorite part. Is like, I yeah,
0: disagreed th- with Bran's story,
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as loving basketball and uh, perhaps a-, a story you wish you could tell? that you haven't been able to yet or something of that, or or maybe you're keeping that to yourself, but any, any no. parting shots?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny for us to talk about this. You mentioned in yourself, the analysis you do. I mean, both of us, I think our reputations in so far as we have them are as analysts, not as storytellers, right? So it's an interesting thing that this is our, my choice for what I love about the game. And they're like, there's nothing wrong with analysis. It's wonderful. It's great. I love that too. Uh, that's what I do mostly, right. That's what I do for 538. That's more or less what minute basketball is, but the stories I would love to do more of if I could, but players are so put upon for their time. I, and, and they spend so much time with media. If I had my, my, real like my pick of whatever I could do I would sit down with Fred no not even sit I would follow Fred around for a couple days you know like Tyler Tynes does uh just see how he interacts with his friends I would ask his friends if it's different from how they interacted when he was a kid I would see how he responds when strangers ask him for his autograph ask for pictures I would see what the world is to him and how what he is to the world around him. And, and those stories uh, need telling. Mina Kimes is wonderful at telling them. There's some talented people out there, but more and more the people with access don't have any interest in that. You know, Shams, for example, has all the access in the world. When he gets great interviews, he literally publishes the transcripts. What an unbelievable waste. Like, how little do you have to care about basketball if you turn this raw magic into garbage by publishing a transcript? It is humiliating. And so I try not to make waves. I don't want to put upon players. And I would only want to do that with the player that I was already close with, already a relationship with. So one day I'll get there. I know I will. I'll have that opportunity. And I, I'm confident I'll do really well with it um, for now. I'll tell the stories I can tell, but uh, there's definitely bigger, deeper, more meaningful ones out there that I hunt.
1: To stories, Lewis. Hell yeah. Thanks Cheers. for coming on. Uh, listener. I hope you enjoyed it. If if you're looking forward to somebody who tells stories and maybe has a reverence that the players deserve for them. Uh, the next episode I believe will be with Katie Heindel who just this morning Uh, topped off an interview with Charles Oakley, I believe. So hopefully she has some wonderful insights, et cetera. And I hope you enjoyed this with Lewis. Um, I hope you enjoy the series on loving basketball and the different things about it. We will range, obviously, from Lewis's love for stories and he and I kind of doing the, the writer shtick where we are very worried about telling stories and what it means and what that looks like. And there are some people who have lined up as guests that will probably just be talking about really analysis and just the the smaller parts of the game. But Lewis, thanks so much for coming on, man.
0: My guy, it had been way too long since we'd been on a podcast. I was, I was, like I hunt stories, I was hunting the chance to be on a pod with you again. It is truly my pleasure.
1: <laughs> thanks, brother. Okay, listener, thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.